One of the real interesting revelations that I've gotten personally about the Beatitudes is that they all reveal attributes of God. Each one of these Beatitudes is, a, is an attribute that's already in God that was fully lived in the life of Jesus even before he spoke it. And we're going to see how God himself is poor in spirit a little later in the, as we move in through this lesson. But I love how Jesus says that those who realize that they are really needy, those that are really dependent upon him, he says they're blessed. There's a blessing that comes in our total dependence upon God. And look at what he says. He says they're going to be given an incredible treasure, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit know that they need God and they also realize they need others. They're not arrogant, they're not independent. And they know that if they live independently of God, that they're going to miss God's highest calling on their lives and very possibly and probably their eternal redemptive des destiny if they're not totally dependent upon God. So they've made Jesus Lord not merely Savior, and there's a huge difference. And because Jesus is living in them, they carry his life, his love, his peace, and his joy, both to their family, to others, and into the workplace. God's kingdom is expressed through those who are desperate for him. Now, obviously, Jesus knew natural po poverty, Naturally, he was born into the lowest segment of poverty in his day. He was born to a teenage mom that was pregnant out of wedlock. He was homeless and was nomadic for several years. And when he died, he died in a borrowed, and they buried him in a borrowed tomb of someone else. So what is the definition of poverty? I like this definition. Poverty is the point at which one lacks the daily resources for a stable environment. Poverty is the point at which one lacks the daily resources for a stable environment. Now those who are physically poor need to search daily for their bread from the hands of men. But those who are poor in spirit, they know that they need to search daily for their bread from the hands of God. You know, several years ago here at Highland, uh, we hosted, uh, not we, but Highland hosted a wonderful seminar about poverty, especially in light of the Wellness Center and its moving toward completion. I'll never forget as we sat here in the chapel that day, I learned a lot. And one thing was, this was a fascinating fact I had never known or heard, that those in poverty do not say where they live. They say where they stay. That was fascinating to me. They just, the poor always say where they stay, not where they live. And that was what all the experts had to share. But what I saw was that 
Those who are poor have an opportunity to have a temporary residence mentality. So I've thought about the target audience for Jesus in his day. The poor. He said in Luke 4.18, he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Poverty makes people desperate. Wealth makes us comfortable, not desperate. And friends, I just, I feel we have no idea of how deeply rooted we are in the earth today. We are made of the dust of the earth, so we are attracted to it and it to us. But having a temporary dwelling mentality, I think, is a really good thing. And it's not easy to have unless you are poor in the natural or poor in the spirit. According to the world standard, we all are very wealthy. We have a roof over our heads. We have food to eat. We have money in our pocket. Of course, that amount may vary. But we are among the wealthiest in the world. And unfortunately, our wealth can too easily blind us from our inner poverty. The word poor in Scripture was used to describe the humble and the helpless person who puts his or her total trust in God. And being poor in spirit is actually an attitude of humility, of seeing oneself as spiritually bankrupt, deserving of nothing, absolutely abandoned to God. And because of that position, he or she turns to God Almighty who has everything. And this phrase, poor in spirit, is also linked to other biblical phrases like broken spirit or humble and contrite spirit. I like how David cries out in Psalm 51, verse 17. He speaks of the sacrifice of a broken spirit, referring to someone broken of pride and broken of self-centeredness. The sacrifices of God, David said, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David uses the word contrite. Contrite means to have a deep sorrow concerning sin. This, I think, maybe for you note takers, the depth of our sorrow will depend upon the depth of our revelation of God's holiness. The depth of our sorrow will depend upon the depth of our revelation of God's holiness. If we get greater glimpses of how holy He is, it will break our hearts for how far we are from that place. The word contrite, it comes from the same word that we get talcum powder from. So contrition implies total surrender to God like fine powder. We've all used fine powder, talcum powder, baby powder. If you have it sprinkled on your fingers 
and rub your fingers together, it's smooth. It almost feels liquid-like. It's free of any resistance. In fact, if you just put one little grain of salt on your finger with the rest of that powder, you would immediately know where the salt is. The salt would be an element of resistance against the smoothness and brokenness of the fine powder. Fine powder has eliminated all friction. I want you to turn to Isaiah 57. There's a great scripture here. God speaking, Isaiah 57, verse 15. I like how fine powder is, it's, it's so smooth. It's free of any resistance and of all stubbornness. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In this verse, Isaiah is telling us what gets God, God's attention. Him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. I love how in the very beginning it says, to this one will I look. To this one. Man's perceived weakness, which is humility, it's not attractive to the natural man being humble. But man's perceived weakness and humility is actually the first step toward God's strength, favor, and forgiveness. Humility is the first step toward God's strength, His favor, and His forgiveness. And I believe Jesus wants to see this whole poverty of spirit from God's perspective. He's looking for rich fellowship with those who are totally submissive and surrendered to his lordship. Why? Because they're easy to be with. They're like powder. There is no power struggle with the poor in spirit. Jesus has already won. He's already been made Lord and Supreme King. Just like the baby powder, there's no resistance. And until we come like that, Lord, deliver me of all my resistance to your Lordship in my life. Now let's turn to Isaiah 66. We are in 57. Go forward. Nine chapters. Isaiah 66. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. <laughs> where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. 
on him who is poor and of a contrite heart and spirit who trembles at my word. If I were to paraphrase this, paraphrase, I think I would say something like, the one I'm looking for is a soft, tender-hearted person. He or she knows desperately that they need me. They respect my word. They honor me. They believe me. And they cling to me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Being poor in spirit places us in the humble position of asking. Pride forbids us from asking of God and from depending upon Him. And from a human perspective, always asking, this is a bit disturbing and it's also humbling. Giving you a little example, when uh, while growing up in Israel, our nephew Josiah, uh, his parents, uh, Brandon and Gwen, came along to work alongside of us in Haifa uh, for nine years. And that was such a joy seeing uh, a niece and a nephew grow up in Israel. But Josiah, he went through several years where he endlessly asked questions. Uncle Reuben, but why? Uncle Reuben, how? Uncle Reuben. And, you know, after about the, the 11th answer, and he's still bulleting the questions, I would just say, Josiah, it's not for now. But why? I mean, it, it would always a question would follow up. So, <laughs> you know, Josiah, he was not poor in spirit. That's not why I'm giving you the example. He was poor in knowledge. That's why he was always asking why and how. But one day, God showed me what Josiah was doing in the natural is exactly what God wanted me to do in the spirit. I felt that the Lord said to me, show me how desperate you are by continually asking for me to intervene. He challenged me to grow in the childlike attitude of trust and persistence in prayer. That's why it's important for us to realize that our all-powerful God, almighty, eternal God, the creator of all that exists, he himself is poor in spirit. How? How does that work? He is poor in this case. He holds nothing back. Nothing. He is continuously giving himself away. And God does not hoard his treasures for himself, nor does he covet anything. The ultimate expression of his generosity is seen by his giving of his only son to die. Not for his sin, but for our sin so that we can have a relationship with him. Now, we're all called to this quality of being poor in spirit. So we are to also be generous givers, not lusting after or coveting anything. I think we really need to learn in a greater way the secret that Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment. To be content in whatever state I'm in, 
whether I'm abounding or whether I'm desperately needy. He found the place of contentment. That we're content with whatever we have or whatever we don't have. Realizing that all blessings come from God and are given to us so that we can return a portion back to Him and back to the Lord and also to bless others. That's why God blesses us. He wants us to be blessing wherever we are. I want you to turn now to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, as we'll look in, in the weeks to follow, we, we see that each of the Beatitudes has a great significance to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Praise God, technology lets us wait sometimes. Your library is loading. Your library is being prepared. Go ahead. There we go. A real Bible. Sure, go ahead. No, I've, I've got it. I should say I'm getting it, to be quite honest. Oh, my. Yeah. There we go, Carl. Carl to the rescue. You're somewhere in here. It's, I like what he just said. It's somewhere in here. That's true, Carl. To the angel to the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and, and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
What this church in Ephesus lacked was the first beatitude, being totally poor, absolutely dependent, passionately in love with God. They had left their first love. Jesus challenged the Ephesian believers to become poor in spirit. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember that first love. You must return back to that place, both for God and for others. It's being driven by love, this word of correction. This one thing I have against you. Man, you have a list of great things. And there's a relationship between poor in spirit and first love. Being poor in spirit includes a strong desire to give yourself away, to empty yourself for the sake of another. And first love qualities are the same. The person who is in love empties himself for those he loves. He considers serving and blessing an honor, not a sacrifice. The believers in the Ephesian church had one, once been just like that. Joyfully and lovingly serving the Lord. Jesus was their passion. Their growth and relationship with God was continual. They had worked hard and had matured in areas of both ministry and service. And very likely, they had even endured persecution. Because they lived in the city where the emperor and the goddess Diana were worshipped, as we see in Acts 19. They went against the idolatry among them in their day and in their city, and they had endured a lot of hardships. They maintained pure theology and good doctrine. They did not tolerate false prophets or apostles or those who taught heresy. So what was the problem? They're doing good works, showed signs of maturity, had endured even persecution faithfully and correct theology. You know, this sounds like the perfect church today. But Jesus knew that beneath their impressive exterior, their love relationship with God was missing. They weren't laboring for God's kingdom as they had for many years, but now they were laboring out of habit rather than out of an ongoing love for Jesus and the Father. So the Lord's complaint against the Ephesians was not that they were failing in their work for God, but they had abandoned first love qualities in serving Him. When we desire to be recognized for our good works, that's a good sign we have left our first love. We must beware of seeking glory or any recognition rather than being content to give ourselves away for God's glory alone. You know, recently the Holy Spirit convicted me of a of an area of pride that I have lived with for many years. It's been humbling. And it's been painful seeing this ugliness in my heart. But you know, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that he's showing it to me now rather than on judgment day. Amen. Now I can confess it. 
Now I can have godly sorrow, and I've had a good bit of godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. But friends, once we die, that opportunity is gone forever. There's no more prayers. There's no more repentance. There's no more confession. It's done. It's sealed forever. So I'm glad that God is pointing his finger to my heart now. Now I can confess. Now I can have godly sorrow. Now I can repent. Verse 5. Revelation 2 says, Repent and do the first works. Jesus was not referring to religious deeds. He was calling them to that first love quality of doing everything just for him. Just for him. He was calling them back to a daily love relationship. He wasn't calling them to a religion. It was relationship day in and day out. He was seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else is added. Those who are not poor in spirit do not like to humbly petition God for help. They're ashamed to admit that they desperately need him. They're strong in themselves. That's because the pride of life is that powerful. The Apostle John says there's three things that are going to be attacking us in our walk on the earth. The lust of the eyes, the lust of our flesh, and the pride of life. And they will prevent us from entering into all that God has for us. And they will totally present us for, prevent us from being humble and poor in spirit. You know, if this describes any of us here tonight, I tell you out of love, you need to confess that sin of the pride of your heart. You need to first see that your pride is not good. The first sin was pride in Lucifer. Haughtiness. Pride is huge, and we all have measures of it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, the broken. To this one will I look, God says. He loves brokenness. He loves tears. He loves contriteness. Everyone needs the Lord, but you know what? Only those who realize their desperate need of Him get His look. Get His attention. He makes it very clear, to this one will I look. First Chronicles says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. That's total dependence. That's poverty of spirit. Well, before I pray, I want you to just ask yourself some honest questions. Am I guilty of leaving my first love? Maybe a good question is that I ever really have a first love with God. 
If not, if you've never had a real first love experience where you are so passionate after God, ask Him right now, tonight, for a first love encounter with the living God. He is longing to give it to us far more than we're desiring of it. He wants first love. He wants to be our first love of our life. Am I independent? Am I self-sufficient? How really dependent on God am I? Have I really, really surrendered totally to His Lordship? Let's pray. Oh God, my God. God, we want your kingdom to come. Jesus, your kingdom. We want your will to be done in and through our lives. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you're the helper. I pray you would help each of us to embrace this attitude of being poor in spirit. It goes against the spirit of this world. Oh God, I thank you for your promise that your kingdom will be the eternal treasure granted to the poor in spirit. Lord, we don't do this to get the treasure. We do this to get you. We do this to get your look, to get your attention. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of all honor, all glory, all dominion, all majesty, all rulership. It is to your name that we give glory. It is to your nature, your character, your person, these attributes that we're looking at. It is to the majesty and glory of your name, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you promised if we do move into poverty of spirit, absolute dependence upon God, totally relying on him, not as a crutch, but as everything, as everything in our lives. You promised the kingdom of heaven will be our inheritance. Thank you for these things and for this word, Lord. To the glory and to the honor and to the majesty within that holy, holy, holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.